Welcome to Ticking Stock with Kelly McMillan. If the name sounds like a business show to you, then you've got it all wrong. Kelly McMillan is the principal of McMillan Fiberglass Stocks and will talk about shooting for fun, competition, hunting, and self-defense. Now, here is your host, Kelly McMillan. Welcome to Taking Stock with Kelly McMillan. I'm your host, and for the next hour, we'll be here to talk about anything related to firearms. If you're into hunting, shooting, plinking, self-defense, we'll cover it on this show. Today, I'm really excited to bring on our first guest. Uh, Bob Beck has been a friend of mine for a long time. He's a, a very notable personality in the television world and uh, shooting sports. And he's going to share with us, you know, some of the things that he's been doing to stay busy. And I'd like to welcome him to our show now. Welcome, Bob. Thanks for having me, Kelly. Glad to have you here. Now, I'm going to be honest with our listeners. Uh, This being my first show and you being an old hat at television, I'm going to expect you to carry this segment of the show for me, would you? (laughs) Oh, man. We're setting up for failure. (laughs) No, we're going to do well. Um, To start off with, why don't we talk a little bit about you, um, how you got into uh, the firearms industry, uh, what your history was prior to actually starting your television show. Whew. Long story. We'll try to keep it short. And obviously you uh, probably know it uh, better than most. Um, you know, it really started simply for me as just the passion for hunting, right? Um, a lot of guys ask, a lot of different questions throughout a year about the, you know, the rifles that we make and, you know, the other things that we do. And really all of that can be boiled down to it all started for the passion of hunting and way before the days of doing television shows and the rifles and all the other good stuff, it really come down to that. I was doing uh, my fair share of hunts and traveling and some of the hunts were, maybe out of the country or maybe maybe best off just to say the bucket list hunts that we were doing. And, um, you know, there were so many times that I could sit around the campfire or share a story with a fellow hunter and see a common theme in that story of, of how the tale was told that, you know, I've seen this really big buck or this really big bull elk or whatever it is, and he just happened to be on the other side of that ridge or the other side of that valley or, you know, he was just across that draw or something like that. And, you know, there's a lot of campfire stories told about, well, he was just too far away. I couldn't connect. And um, that just drove the passion to be able to become more proficient uh, at the shooting part of our hunting game, right? It's not like we we sacrificed any bit of the hunt more as we were just trying to figure out a way to become more proficient at the shooting portion so that we could extend our effective range, ultimately finding more success in our hunts. And really Kelly had just stemmed from there, right? It was hours and days and months and years of practice and trying to find out what would work and what wouldn't work and taking this factory you know, rifle and trying to do this or that and this optic and trying to do this or that and a massive amount of trial and error went into trying to figure out what worked and ultimately that particular road is what led me to ultimately meeting you. Well, that's exciting. the rest has been history. 
I guess this begs the question, how did you get into hunting to begin with? You know, it, it's kind of an interesting dynamic. For the most part, my, my dad is much more of a fisherman than a, than a hunter, but I remember when I became a freshman in high school, and that's about the age here in Oregon where most kids are taking their hunter safety course and probably planning their first hunt with their dad. And you would notice in the fall when you start school that, you know, oh, so-and-so is not here for the week, and oh, well, where are they? Oh, well, they're hunting. You know, you start hearing that over and over, and that really piqued my interest. Like, well, you know, gosh, I want to go hunting. And uh, so I ultimately, when I was a freshman in high school, started to try to kind of line up with this buddy or that buddy or, oh, I could go with so-and-so. And I kind of just tried to fit myself in wherever I could. And I worked a part-time job after school, and I saved enough money to buy my gun. It was a 30 6 I still remember it. I think everybody remembers their first gun almost as well as they remember their first woman. Um, <laughs> you know, uh, the reason that I ask that question is because I personally know that you hunt with your kids, and, and that's something that I'm really passionate about. In order to, to further the shooting sports, we need to ver- uh, focus on getting young people involved in the shooting sports in what, whatever way they, they choose, whether it be hunting or competitive shooting or, or just shooting for fun. And um, doing that, uh, I know because you hunt with your kids, that's what we can do personally, uh, each and every one of us, to make sure that this industry continues for generations to come. Absolutely. It's, uh, it's a struggle that I find myself in every fall trying to balance my, my kids' hunts into my filming schedule. And, and to be quite honest with you, Kelly, I'm sure you, you know, can understand this. Is I've, I've had that barrier uh, in front of me where my kids want to go hunting, but they're like, Dad, you know, can we go without the camera? And uh, that's been a really tough situation because there's only so much time in a hunting season and my job requires me to film hunts. So I've had to kind of nurture them through that part and try to show them how documenting a hunt can be positive and they can, you know, they can engage in that and possibly have those memories for a lifetime because it's, it's documented via video footage. Um, and so I've been able to kind of circle around and keep them excited about it. And it's been also interesting to see how their school schedule, you know, you've got some kids going from high school to college and then you kind of lose them for a little bit and then maybe they get older and then you get them back. And now I've just got my youngest, uh, son, Austin, he, he's just now, um, you know, he's in the eighth grade and, and he passes hunter safety. And so I've been trying to get that kid out every chance I can and just keep him away from video games and all those things, you know, so yeah, it's, it's an extremely important to keep this whole thing alive, that we keep them involved. Hey, Bob, I, uh, this is Zev speaking, and I uh, had noticed on some of your videos that you, your wife is involved with you as a co-host. Uh, when you two got together, was she already a hunter, or did she adopt her passion? So she was not a hunter, but she had been around uh, firearms, um, mainly, you know, probably twenty-two plinking and shooting clays with shotguns, right? Just kind of more that recreational, oh, hey, I've went and shot some guns. It wasn't until uh, she started to understand the dynamic of how passionate I was about hunting that um, Chris is a very, very strong-willed woman, and she really just came to me and said, you know, what I don't want to do is I don't want to get left behind and, and not share in these life's moments. 
so how can I get involved? And and I got to tell a little story here, guys, so I hope I've got the time. But the funniest thing ever was when she said that to me, it was in the spring, and we were gearing up for spring bear hunts. And I remember it vividly still that I'm like, absolutely, babe. Let, you know, let's get you a tag, and let's go bear hunting, and let's go have some fun. And, and she had not really engaged in shooting any of the long-range setups that I had at the time, and I... I set her up on a rock, and, and Kelly knows that part of our practice regimen is we do a lot of what we call just rock shooting. Well, I set her up on a rock that was about 800 yards away, <laughs> and uh, her not knowing the difference, I think she just got behind the rifle thinking, okay, well, I'm just going to you know, shoot this rock over here, and he's already done the work, so I just need to hold the rifle on the rock, and I'm going to hit it. And So the gun goes off, and sure enough, she hits the rock, and the the ironic thing was she was instantly successful because women are able to identify with an exact pinpoint process on how to make these shots, leaving out a lot of the emotion that men have. And, and when she got off the rifle after hitting the rock, I could look at her, and she really just figured, oh, well, that must be normal. And all, all the <laughs> while inside for me, I'm giggling, going, she has no clue she just shot 800 yards like it was nothing. That's so a great story. Very, very funny. <laughs> You know, that's funny, and I've hunted with you and Chris, and, and I saw her after a hunt one time pretty upset because you made her shoot a 165-inch uh, mule deer, and she wasn't satisfied with that, but you told her, well, we got to get something for the camera. So, yeah, she, she developed a passion for hunting. She really enjoys it, and, and it's, it's fun to be around her when we're in hunting camp. Uh, now that oh, yeah. we've got a little bit about you, let's talk about Extreme Outer Limits. Uh, I remember our, one of our first conversations when you asked me if I wanted to sponsor you, and I said, no, I, I don't really believe in long-range hunting. And, and we sat and talked for about an hour, and when I walked away from that, I had a totally different idea of what long-range hunting was. And, and can you explain your philosophy about that and why I changed my mind about working with Extreme Outer Limits Television? Sure, I'll do my best. Um, I think that identifying that it all stems around the passion of hunting, one has to really open up their mind and, and wrap their brain around the fact that we're not stunt shooting, right? We're not picking live living targets to stunt shoot on and hoping that it works out. More so what our entire motivation has always been was that these products that we either manufacture or we've aligned ourselves with are a winning combination to just be able to extend our effective range for the success of the hunt. It's not about patting ourselves on the back and going, woohoo, we just made some ridiculous shot and didn't wound an animal. More as it's a regimented lifestyle that we're applying so that we can just extend that effective range to become successful in the hunt. For those who are not familiar with Extreme Outer Limits Television, tell us um, what channel it's on, what times, and explain a little bit about the misconception. Uh, it's not necessarily exclusively a long-range hunting show. It's a serious hunting show for people who really enjoy the hunt. Isn't that correct? Yeah, yeah. You, you nailed it on the head, right? So we're, we're running on Sportsman's Channel three times a week as well as we run on wild TV up in Canada and Europe uh, four times a week. And 
and you you hit it right. I mean, I can hardly say it any better, right? It's what we've identified ourselves with is being a serious Western-based hunting show. You know, you watch a lot of hunting programs on the outdoor networks, and you'll see a lot of similarities, a lot of redundancy in the fact that the majority of the outdoor television world is based around archery and whitetails. And, and that is fine and, and great uh, because probably the majority of the population of the U.S. can identify with that. However, there was a void as far as from the Colorado, Colorado Rockies to the West, whereas there's a lack of Western content or, like you said, you know, serious Western hunting. So what we have identified with is going back to the fact that we've aligned ourselves or manufactured the products to extend our effective range, but by no means are we ever going to back away from an animal, make a longer shot, more as we're trying to find the most mature animal that we can possibly find in any given hunt. As a matter of fact, I joke a little bit. I call us five-day warriors. Uh, and the reason for the five days is because we have to film 26 episodes. So when I plan out my season, I don't rarely get to spend more than five days on any location. And so what we've got to do in that five days is find the most mature animal that will represent that species and location in a five-day time frame, and if that shot comes at 50 yards or at 500 yards, we're going to be prepared for it. That's awesome. Uh, you've mentioned several times the equipment that you use allowing you to do what you do. It's not just equipment. You've got to spend a lot of time behind the gun. I know you do. Um, trigger time, there's no substitute for it. You, a rifle is only as good as the guy who's pulling the trigger. But why don't you uh, spend just a minute or two and, and tell us who you've aligned yourself with and, and why you've chosen those products? Yeah, so case in point, right, our relationship, um, you know, anybody that's in the game or, or that's getting into the game sooner or later is going to come across the McMillan stock, right? You, you've been regarded as the finest fiberglass stocks in, in the market for over, you know, 40 years now. So when I look at this, I look at it almost similar to if you were building your home. It's all got to start from the foundation. So when we look at an MOA rifle and what parts that are going to go into an MOA rifle and what we're going to be able to put our name behind, we know that we've got to align ourselves with some very key partners. So that foundation starts with a McMillan stock of the style that we're using for that model. Uh, we do make uh, our own MOA action equipment parts. Um, and then depending on the the trigger uh, for that model, we're either using a Timney or a Jewel, and then exclusively, same as the McMillan stock, we're using benchmark barrels. And uh, we've got some really cool stuff going with those guys with the cut and the cryo and all that kind of stuff. So same as we've got some of our models with fiberglass McMillans or edge tech McMillans. So, yeah, we've got a, a pretty regimented system there. Well, uh, you left out one component that I know that, that you really believe in. Uh, I as well do, too. Um, optics. People think about optics as kind of a, a, a secondary to the rifle, but I don't think that's the case. I remember when we were filming um, my elk hunt here in Arizona, we had $60,000 worth of optics, including your camera, to uh, support one rifle on the hunt. So uh, optics are really important. You know, what's your th thought on that? 
Yeah, you, you, yeah, pretty crazy that a, a, a team of guys could tote around so much money in optics. But, yeah, you, you got it there, right? So for our optic choice, you know, we've had a lot of offerings over the year, and we, we've stayed with Night Force uh, through thick and thin and through growing pains for everybody and, and keeping this extreme out-of-limits machine moving. Um, they, they deeply root quality of their product and I'm completely in a line with it. So I won't try to bore everybody with it, but in the optics world, there's different ways to manufacture optics. And when you get to the erector assembly of an optic, what I don't like to see is very many synthetic parts. And Night Forces, their, uh, what would you call it, uh, kind of their motto or, or, or their vision has been that if it's good enough for the military, it will be good enough for the civilians. And so with that said, their, their tube construction and their erector assembly and how that transfers to the turret makes an absolute repeatable optic. And if you're going to be shooting long range or extended range and you're going to be turning turrets, it's extremely critical that you get exact value for every click in that scope and almost more important, it's it's super critical that the scope will return to zero every single time because from going back to zero, if it's hung up at any portion or any plus percentage or negative percentage of an MOA in a click, then it'll start your mathematical equation for your next shot and it'll just trend off. So we definitely have stuck with Night Force uh, as our optic of choice and, and furthermore, We've uh, we've stayed with with Burger Bullets too. That's been a staple from day one. Uh, quite honestly, Burger Bullets was the first sponsor Extreme Outer Limits ever had, and the reason that we've stayed with them from the product side of it, aside from the the business relationship that we have, is the bullet dynamic is is one that you really got to wrap your head around because no matter how much you have invested into your time and equipment or practice you've got to understand that the bullet is the one that is doing the heavy lifting. It's, it's the one actually doing the job. And a way a, bullet, uh, a burger bullet is constructed is it's constructed in which that under low velocities, it will still expand at an acceptable rate to terminally kill an animal. And there's other bullet offerings out there that will kill extremely well within a certain range bracket, but not kill in all of the range brackets, say from 100 to 1,000 yards. So Burgers definitely had a design that we followed through uh, with them, and we've actually built onto that now, and we have a license with them, and we're collaborating and designing bullets, and, and we're, we're gravitating towards an ammunition line as well with them. We're going to take a short break right now, Bob, but when we come back, I'd like for you to stick around and, and talk a little bit more about your partnerships with these companies and, and some of the other things that you're involved with. I want to thank everybody for listening. This is Taking Stock with Kelly McMillan. We'll be right back. Looking for exciting video content live and on demand? Visit www.voiceamerica.tv for exclusive content you just can't find anywhere else. That's voiceamerica.tv. Tune in now. 
For over 40 years, Macmillan USA has been at the leading edge of the gun stock industry. The company was born out of the desire to improve and perfect form, function, and precision with every one of their premium fiberglass stocks. From tactical to hunting to competitive shooting, Macmillan stocks are designed to dominate. Their signature three-way adjustable butt plates, adjustable cheek pieces, rail mounts, and adapters provide a versatile platform built on performance. Over 65 custom finishes are available, ranging from solid colors to camouflage. Check out the Macmillan website for hundreds of stocks available for immediate delivery. And for those wanting something more specialized, call the knowledgeable and friendly staff at Macmillan for a complete list of options at 877-365-6148 or visit MacmillanUSA.com. Again, that's 877-365-6148 or visit MacmillanUSA.com. We're making it easier to listen to the Voice America Talk Radio Network wherever you go. In addition to listening live, you can check out information about your favorite talk show hosts, discover new talk show personalities, add shows to your list of favorites, and listen to all our show archives on demand. All from your iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android. Download it from the Apple App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market, and get ready to tune in. The Voice America mobile app, powered by Aircast. Your internet flagship station for sports, Voice America Sports. You are listening to Taking Stock with Kelly McMillan. Now back to the show. Welcome back. We're still here with Bob Beck. Uh, Bob, you know, we've talked a little bit about you personally, your television show. There's a, a number of other facets to Bob Beck that I would like my listeners to know about. You know, when we first started building the rifles for your show and sponsoring you, you were happy with the quality and the and the and um, everything that you got out of them. And then when I sold the rifle company, there wasn't that commitment uh, to Extreme Outer Limits by the new owners. And, and you decided that in order to be able to perform with the same type of quality equipment you had before, there were only a couple of options available to you. Let's talk about what you decided in order to be able to maintain that highly accurate rifle system in order to be able to reach out to those longer ranges. So I think that you're correct, right? The the new owner of McMillan Farms wasn't of the same interest level in what you and I had worked so hard to build on. And the notion that I was going to leave the relationship that I built with you to just go court sponsor dollars from someone else, uh, that wasn't very appealing, right? I felt like I'd been given an opportunity and acquired an immense amount of education through you and the McMillan family that I thought, you know, the best way to go about this is going to probably in the long run figure out how to skin this cat on my own and really be able to tie in the, the customer connection that we're working so hard to build. Um, you know, this long-range gig is kind of an, you know, it's getting more mature, but there's still so many facets of it that are unwritten. It's not like you can walk up to the rack and get a book and read it, and you're instantly a long-range shooter, um, partly because there's so much learning uh, involved in it still that it's just, it's kind of learn as you go. 
And so we have some designs in mind, and a lot of this leans back to the Burger Bullet uh, partnership. You know, the technology is driving forward so fast in long range to continue to get bullets that are going to perform better and better at extended ranges. Well, what happens there is these bullets get heavier and they get longer so that we can drive the ballistic coefficient numbers up. Um, when we are referring to ballistic coefficient, we're talking about the bullet's efficiency, uh, its ability to slip through the air or basically buck atmospheric conditions. Well, by doing that, making longer and heavier bullets in the Magnum cartridges, we needed to make some changes in the receivers of these rifles because the idea that they were going to function in factory uh, SAMI-spec or SAMI-compliant receivers was just not really feasible in the direction that we're going. So we kind of knew all of that going into it, and, and that was all the more supportive that we needed to birth MLA rifles. So you decided to make your own rifles. That, that sounds like a pretty daunting task. Um, I, for one, was extremely surprised when you made the decision basically January 1, and by November of the same year, you actually had rifles to offer. So not only are you talented um, from a, a shooting standpoint, you're photogenic, you have a great television show with, with huge numbers, um, you, you're pretty sharp because you were man, you managed to start a business and it's successful now and did it in a very short period of time. One of the things that I really enjoy about our relationship is that we share a lot of the same ideas about how to get and keep customers involved with you and your product. And I think you said it best by saying you want the full circle experience, is that what you called it, for the customers? Yeah. Uh, explain to our listeners what that is. Before I give you that, I do want to say, you know, I'm one guy, and and there has been some very key players in my life that have helped perpetuate the things that we've done. So I just want to say that. I don't want to take full credit. There's some other people in my life that have absolutely helped with the ability to get these businesses going in the right direction. Um now to the full circle. So what we realize is that we're offering a premium level product and we may not be for everybody, but we want to try to be for as many people as we can. And so we identified through the television show as a promotion and then getting into the rifles that there's always the next thing, right? Well, do you... You know, we get asked this common, well, do you offer this or do you know anybody for that? Or, you know, these similar questions get asked quite often. Well, what we realized is to best serve our customer, we needed to be accountable for as many pieces of the puzzle as we could. So we evolved it from the promotional business being extreme out of limits now to the firearms manufacturing company. And then we started Rugged Ridge Outdoor Gear, which builds the ultralight, crazy-moving bipod and some other accessories. And then, again, the ever-looming question is, where can I go on a hunt and use this stuff? That, lastly, we wrapped up that into the full circle by acquiring Star Valley Outfitters out of western Wyoming. 
That's a terrific outfit, too, because I, I will tell you, I hunted there, and, and I enjoyed myself, and I am definitely going back. Yeah, it's, it's been a great camp. You know, I, I really identify with the camp because there's moments where I get stressed out on, on the other side of the businesses, and I get to go to camp and remember why I'm doing it all, right? Right. So now you have the ability to show the people by your television show what it's like to go on these hunts. They can buy the equipment from you, not only the MOA rifles, but they, you have an online store that has uh, all your rugged um, ridge gear, plus any of the uh, other stuff like Burger and, and Night Force. And they've got a place that they can go and hunt. There's one step in between that we haven't talked about yet. And I think probably the most important thing that you have to offer, and if you remember our conversation when we first start, when I agreed to sponsor the television show, I said, I am going to hold you to the education part of it because you need to let these people know that you just can't buy one of these rifles and go out and do the things that you do without the education, without the hard work, without the trigger time. And so in an effort to do that, you've come up with another product that fits perfect. The Extreme School, yes. We have stayed true to the root of of that, and the education is important, and these rifles come with limitations. Um, The word ethics is thrown around a lot. Quite honestly, I'm not very fond of it because I have a different meaning for it than most people that kind of throw it back at me. But you're you're absolutely right. The Extreme School uh, is a two-day course that we put on. um, We have multiple locations now, and we have multiple sets of dates throughout the spring and the summer that people can uh, set up to come and attend uh, an extreme shooting school. I'll give you a little bit of foundation for the one that's closest to me here in Oregon. Uh, we, we lease a really large 30,000-plus-acre uh, ranch that we've consumed oh, somewhere between five and 7,000 acres to set up for uh, dedicated targets. And we have targetry from 400 to 2,000 yards, uh, all in steel. And then we have a 100-yard range. We set up a tent out there, and we do a half-day uh, classroom on the first day. And then followed after lunch, we'll do a 100-yard testing and training. And what we're trying to achieve there is consistency. Uh, we want to be able to teach proper shooting form and technique to consistently play shots. And then uh, day two, we'll start off with about an hour of Q&A, and then we'll move on to the big range. And uh, we do a little shirt giveaway and all that kind of good stuff. You know, I shot a mile with the Extreme Outer Limits crew, that kind of thing. Um, It's a really good tool. And quite honestly, a a major portion of the range itself is for novelty. Uh, It's nothing that we're going to ever go out and suggest that guys go and shoot a game that far. Um, But I do think it has value because you, you hear the, you know, aim small, miss small. Um, it kind of goes back to even say an archer. If an archer shoots a hundred yards all the time for practice, when he gets that 40 yard shot, it seems much easier. So I think the same principle applies with the rifles. You know, if you're playing consistently at a thousand yards or even beyond, 
that when you get um, an opportunity at that four or five or six hundred yard shot, they come a lot easier. Well, you know, we're quickly running out of time, Bob, and it seems like we've just barely been able to scratch the surface. I'm going to uh, ask you if you'll promise me you'll come back at some time in the future and we can get a little more into uh, in-depth on, on some of this stuff. I want to tell you, I've really had a good time with you here. Uh, just like everything else that we do together, it's always a blast. Uh, thanks for being on the show and thanks for uh, letting my listeners get to know Bob Beck a little bit better. I appreciate you guys having me. I'll do it anytime you you want, buddy. I'm here for you. And if you guys liked the technical part of Bob's uh, presentation, you'll be excited to stay tuned to this next segment. We've got Brian Litz coming on, and if you like ballistics and long range and uh, bullets and talk about that stuff, you're going to want to stick around to hear him. We'll be right back. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. For over 40 years, Macmillan USA has been at the leading edge of the gun stock industry. The company was born out of the desire to improve and perfect form, function, and precision with every one of their premium fiberglass stocks. From tactical to hunting to competitive shooting, Macmillan stocks are designed to dominate. Their signature three-way adjustable butt plates, adjustable cheek pieces, rail mounts, and adapters provide a versatile platform built on performance. Over 65 custom finishes are available, ranging from solid colors to camouflage. Check out the Macmillan website for hundreds of stocks available for immediate delivery. And for those wanting something more specialized, call the knowledgeable and friendly staff at Macmillan for a complete list of options at 877-365-6148 or visit MacmillanUSA.com. Again, that's 877-365-6148 or visit MacmillanUSA.com. You are listening to Taking Stock with Kelly McMillan. Now back to the show. Welcome back. Thanks for staying with us. Uh, that first portion of the show was terrific. I really love Lynn. He's just such a good guy. Their website is really awesome. Once again, I want to let you know it's www.longrangehunting.com. Please do yourself a favor, check it out, and uh, if you have any passion for long-range hunting or shooting in general, uh, the amount of knowledge that's shared there is really awesome. And that brings me to our next guest. He's been around as long as Lynn has, and, and he's done basically the same thing. Frank Galley is a former Marine. Um, he, he started a, a website forum called Sniper's Hide. Uh, we got involved right away because we saw the value of the people that were posting on that forum and the knowledge that was being shared there, and it's been instrumental to us. And a little later uh, in the show, I'll share a little bit about how important Sniper's Hide has been to us. But but right now, I want to introduce Frank Galley. Frank, thanks for being here with us. Thanks, Kelly. I appreciate you having me on. Well, I'm going to ask you to do a little bit uh, of uh, backtracking for us. If you would, um, talk a little bit about uh, your history before Snipers Hide and before you and I met. Um, give us a little bit of information about your time in, in the Marines and if there's anything pertinent before that time. Let us uh, 
kind of get to know you a little bit. Sure. Um, as you said, I was in the Marine Corps, and right away I went to scout sniper school. I kind of fell into it and attended as a PFC, which at the time was really rare, and went through that and happened to deploy in the Mideast uh, for uh, not so much the Persian Gulf, but the Iran-Iraq War. We had a small contingent there. I participated in that. And then when I got out, I was a private investigator and doing some due diligence and things like that and working on the computer, decided to start the website uh, with Sniper's Hide. And that was my way of sort of getting back into precision rifle shooting after having been out of the Marine Corps for so long. So it, it was a way to return to those roots um, and, and to connect with other like-minded people uh, from my office. Uh, I live back east in Connecticut, so not a lot of shooting going on there. And, and, and the computer was a window back into it. Well, night uh, 2000 was a long time ago, and, and I will tell you how long ago that was for us. We didn't get computers in our office until 1996. And I think probably by 2000, we were kind of still in the dark ages as far as the Internet is concerned. Uh, I'm surprised that you had the, the foresight to think a forum could become what it's become today. It, it, w- it was sort of dumb luck, and exactly like Len said previously, that you know, if you thought about it when you saw it happening, it's a bit too late. And there were some very minor sort of message boards happening at the time. And as soon as you'd get 10 people on, the board would crash. And so a lot of us sat around and said, well, gee, if we can do this better so we can continue a conversation, uh, you know, I think this would be a good thing. So it was one of the, hey, start your own website. And, and that's what I did, and, and I created the forum uh, the first Sniper's Hide was just one of those straight-line message boards, almost like the old Sniper Country site, where it was just one long, continuous conversation. And then early in 2001, I stumbled across uh, some more uh, organized form software, and, and that helped me you know, kind of bring everything together. And, and I really look at Sniper's Hide the way it is today is starting in 2001, but the idea came about in 2000. You're right. Hey, Frank Zev here. Uh, welcome to the show. I'm, I'm really happy to have you on. And uh, a quick note about snipers in general. I think your MOS is 8541. Is that correct? Correct. Okay. So uh, here I was. I, I owned a, uh, a tour company in Scottsdale, and we were the first guys to bring something different than a 22-wheel gun to shoot at cans. We brought AR-15s and Glock 17s to the mix, and you know the, the convention and visitors bureaus were a little leery in the beginning, but then they let us go on. And as a result of that, I had some contacts within the Bureau of Land Management for land access. Long story short, a fellow who owns the range out here that everybody uh, likes to use uh, to do a little more high-speed stuff. It's called Cowtown. I don't know if you've ever heard of it. Yes, I have. Oh, okay. Well, the owner, Richard Shaw, uh, and I met uh, through the uh, permitting process of land, and he saw that I had an interest in, in firearms, and he said, you know, we, we have a, a company out here called SniperSchool.com, and they have an opening on one of their classes. Would you like to attend? And it was a five-day sniper course, and I was with folks who had been in the Corps, uh, not as 8541s, but they were spinning up to go overseas as contractors, a uh, couple of SWAT guys. Anyways, long story short, before the course, I walked into a, 
an, an auto supply store to buy a high center jack. And I was talking to the fellow there. His name is Rob Pedersen, who's now the training facilitator over at Strategic Armory Corps. And Rob said, I said to him, what else do you do other than here? And he's like, oh, I'm a sniper instructor. And I'm like, sure you are. And I didn't know what that 308 dangling from his necklace meant. Well, sure enough, when I get to sniper school, uh, he was my instructor. So I have the, the most regard for you guys, the way I was trained. You know, in just those five days, obviously, you guys go through several months. But I learned the, the succinct and very specific types of, uh, of ways you do things. So it was pretty cool. I enjoyed it. It's funny, the hog's tooth you mentioned, that's what the, the bullet around your neck, they call it the hog's tooth. And uh-huh. um, hog, a hunter of gunmen. And I, my class actually predated the hog's tooth. We got a ceramic skull with the bullet in the forehead. Uh, one of the guy's <laughs> wives made a, a ceramic skull that I think might have even been a lamp. And they just put the 7.62 round in, in the forehead. And, and then everybody you know, didn't do the ceramic anymore, and they started doing the tooth on the necklace. So, oh, you, yeah, that's pretty funny. you got to be a real man to wear that one, that's for sure. <laughs> <laughs> the, the ceramic skull, yeah, carried around on Halloween. <laughs> yeah. um, you know, I want to ask you, Frank, did you do the programming and the IT work on your initial site, the one that you claim was just like a message board, and then the transition to the, the new software, did you actually do that yourself? Yes, I do everything. Um, I taught myself front page at the time. Uh, Microsoft front page was the software I used. And, um, you know, I do buy some, you know, off-the-shelf software, but it always gets tweaked, and, and I just teach myself, how, you know, what's the next thing. Every now and then I'll hire somebody to, to give me a hand if it, if it looks like it's going to be over my head. But the majority work is all done by me. Well, I'm even more impressed with you now than ever before because that was something that, uh, you know, Zev told a little story. I don't know if you were on at the time, but that I, I was so smart. I de- um, uninstalled and then reinstalled Skype to solve a problem. And that's the extent of my success with, with the computer of any kind. Um, I employ about a 15-man uh, IT firm to keep track of all of my computers and everything that we have here so that I can do business, and I can't do a thing. So I, I really have a lot of respect for you. Well, I appreciate that. It must be the, the sniper patience thing, that, that I just have the patience to sit line by line through it and, and kind of teach myself what's going on, you know, the adapt, improvise, overcome you know, that's a really good um, thought, and it never crossed my mind that that might be what I lack because I don't think I could either be a sniper or an IT guy. So maybe it's the lack of patience that <laughs> makes me feel that way. Nice. Now, I think it was about 2002, if I look back at my history, um, McMillan Fiberglass Stocks had a really intimate relationship with uh, the members of Sniper Hide. And it was a really enjoyable experience for me. And I think one of the things that what made it such a successful um, undertaking was that everybody that participated and was involved felt like they were invested in the final outcome of it. And uh, that only happens when you have people who really care, who are interested in really disseminating good, solid information. I know, because I've been around your site for so many years, 
that your members don't tolerate wannabes who who haven't really done anything very long. It doesn't take long for someone who obviously hasn't done what they say they've done to be found out and uh, called out for it. It's true. I mean, number one, my, my members are loyal. And they followed me around. They, they, you know, they, they really have a passion for precision rifle. And when a manufacturer like yourself comes into our forums, they love that. They embrace it. They, they want to be part of the entire world, the shooting industry. And, yes, we don't suffer fools, and, and we've taken some heat for it at times because, we, you know, we will call you out. It, it's one of those things we'll do. If something flags, they, they kind of get into Google and start looking up things, and if it's not right, they're, they're quick to get rid of them. And I, I do appreciate that. It's, you know, it's one of those things. If, if you're a truck driver in the Marine Corps, be a truck driver. We need a truck driver. You know, you don't have to tell me you did something you didn't. Uh, it, it, it's not that big a deal. But well, I when think we everybody... Up, I'm sorry, ahead. Frank, go ahead. I was just going to say... I the I, I, project with you, I mean, that was a, that's a crown jewel of Sniper's Hide history to this day. There, there's, you know, only been a couple really big highlights like that, and, and, and working with McMillan uh, stocks is definitely one of the top, you know, couple that I can think of. Well, that was the story that I want to share, and I'm going to do it real briefly because I don't want to take too much up of your time. We're here to talk about you, but I think it's pertinent because Sniper's Hide was invaluable to McMillan Fiberglass Stocks. Um, I wanted to make the very best uh, Sniper stock on the market, uh, a tactical stock. You know, we had designed the M40A1, transitioned through the A2 uh to the A3, and then finally the Marine Corps adopted the A4. Now, to be perfectly honest, only the people who had actually carried an M40A3 or an M40A5 that had that stock on it had any love for it because it was big, ugly, blocky. It, it did what it was supposed to do, but, but we felt like there was something better out there and we just needed to figure out what it was so i came to snipers hide and asked for everybody who wanted to participate tell me what they wanted in a stock and then i compiled after several months of listening and and talking about and giving them my perspective on what their ideas were because not every idea that you think about is a practical application when you come to molding or manufacturing something um but we came up with the A5, and just so that you know, Frank, and, and you probably know without having been told, but the A5 is the most successful synthetic stock ever produced in the world. Um, not only have we made more A5 stocks than any other stock and probably any three stocks combined uh, since 2003 when we came out with it, but... Every one of my competitors has something very similar to it or almost an exact copy because people demand that style. And that is something that I only could have come up with with the, the input from the guys at Sniper Hide and the people who had actually been out there and done it and had a real feel for what was necessary. And I never hesitate to tell people that the, that the guys at Sniper Hide or the reason that that A5 is so successful? Uh, I remember the initial conversation because I came from the A1 world, 
and thought the A5 was big and heavy. Uh, as you guys know, but your audience doesn't, I'm a much smaller guy. Um, I'm half of the height of Kelly McMillan. Um, and so the A4 was a little too big for me. And so we wanted to, to slim it down a little bit and, and transition some things. And, and we talked about this at length, and, and you stepped right up. You, you took that input and made that stock. And then we went with George Gardner, GA Precision, and the first sniper's hide rifle was built specifically around the A5 stock. Everything else was secondary with that rifle, um, and that was a GA Precision rifle. We called it the Headhunter, uh, you know, throwback to the Marine Corps, and it just focused on the A5, and then the rest came together around it. Well, in the initial uh, production of the first uh, dozen or so, uh, I invited a number of Sniper's Hides members to participate in the evaluation so i sent them stocks out and i think that of of all of it was probably the most valuable because all of your members trusted what these guys had said because they know who they were they know what they had been through and and what they had done and so when the evaluations came in positive people said okay then i'm i'm good with this i can go ahead and buy one and it made it a success right away. Usually when we come out with a stock, it may be six months before we sell three stocks because we have to do a certain amount of marketing and advertising on that particular stock before people even know what it is. And that was all done, one, through Sniper's Hide during the the development process, and then for another three months in the, um, the demonstration of how it actually works, how it holds up, and whether it was exactly what they wanted it to be. And that was a really big plus for us. Like I said, you made the members feel like they were part of McMillan. And, it, you know, you, you can't buy that, uh, that kind of loyalty. And, and my members are definitely very technical. And at the time, the forum was so intimate. I think we might have had 2,500 members. Uh, so, like you said, they trusted when someone said something and we made sure the right people got the stock, uh, they trusted their opinions on it. And I know to this day, um, one of the guys who was from New York had now moved to Arizona. He's still running that original prototype stock that you sent him, and that's still one of his prized rifles to this day. And, Frank, you know, uh, working with Kelly uh, as often as, as I'm able to, I notice that that's the way he he works in any project, and that's going to bring up a, another topic that I think is near and dear to all our hearts, which is, uh, you know, extreme long-range shooting and uh, where you see that going and, and your involvement and so on. Um, I know we have the beast that uh, Kelly designed in order to uh, place actions on, and uh, I'm looking forward to seeing how that's going to work at the uh, King of the Two Mile. But tell us a little bit about your involvement and, and where you see the sport going. Yeah, ELR is definitely an emerging segment of the sport. Uh, I've been doing it for quite a while. I've gone to gun sites, the XLR course, four times over the years. I've held um, my own courses. Uh, yesterday I talked to Brian Litz about what uh, Applied Ballistics is going to be doing uh, to promote it, and, and we had a conversation to bounce some ideas off of, of where his head's at with, with regards to ELR but it's definitely one of the up-and-coming uh, niches of this market, and, and I'm fully involved in what's going on with that. Um, my private range that I use, um, I have targets every 100 yards to a mile for my um, firing line. I can back up another 
you know, 1,500 yards. I think I can get just about 3,800 yards on my private range uh, without much drama, and there's no one out there. And so I shoot probably to a mile as often as I can. It, it's hey, hey. New- Go ahead. I was going to ask you, have you considered coming out to the King of Two Mile? Is that something you might be interested in doing in June? And, uh, you know, would we, might we see you there? Yes, I've, um, I've known about it since the beginning. Uh, like last year, it conflicted with the Sniper's Hide Cup. I was in Washington when um, the King of Two Miles took place. And, and the year before, it was still a little early in it and, and things like that. And, and like I said, my summer schedule tends to get a little busy with classes. But um, definitely I'm going to try to get down there. I don't know if I'm going to shoot it yet, but I'm probably going to be down there as a more of a reporter for Sniper's Hide and to, you know, to lend any kind of support that I can. But uh, it, it's, it's a good venue. I, I mean, Raton is nice for that. Uh, and I'm going to see what I can do to help them to maybe get some more steel packages out that way because I do have some steel on my range that probably could be brought down to Raton. I'm only three and a half hours away. Oh, okay. um, That's awesome. Yeah, I think hanging the steel is also quite a challenge. Looking at some of the pictures of the guys, you know, kind of stretching off the uh, the cliff faces. So that should be fun as well. It's deceiving down there because, uh, as you guys know, all those uh, rocky backdrops in the mountains and things. So I know he has to put some things like hanging off the cliff. Right. So it's a bit deceiving when you go to Raton because you see all the manicured ranges and you kind of come in. But when you're driving around and coming into the range, the ELR stuff is on that that fringe. And and the fringe is pretty rough territory. Hey, Frank, we've been talking about competition and extreme long-range competition. Uh, I know you're involved in supporting other types of competition, PRS in particular, um, why don't you tell us a little bit about how you uh, support the sport and, and, and what's going on with that? Sure. Um, the Precision Rifle Series kind of grew out of Sniper's Hide as well. And um, what it was is the Sniper's Hide Cup, our, our sort of flagship competition, has been the continuous precision rifle match since 2002, 2003. We've had it every year. Started off down in Texas at Rifles Only. We've had it out here in Colorado. We've had it in uh, Wyoming. And then the last year, it was in Washington. It's a PRS event. Um, so we, we support it through that. Uh, we host some of the stuff on the website. Um, we have a, a pretty robust uh, competition match section. And you'll get a lot of companies that will promote their competition on our website. And that way you could say, hey, there's one here, there's one there. And this year the, um, the PRS is going to have 38 sanctioned matches, uh, which is big. And they're also supporting club series because as ELR is getting very big, I think the local match series is becoming just as big on the other side. We're seeing more and more monthly series popping up in little states and areas. Um, I know you guys have a, a robust a uh, competition area with uh, uh, Tim and Regina Milkovich. Correct. Uh, they host stuff in, in, at their range there. And so that's all part of this PRS family. And, and you know, we support it as we can and, and go to the different matches. And I try to shoot George Gardner's uh, Gap Grind, the Pro-Am, uh, where I'm a 
pro shooter and, and we host an amateur with us, so we shoot together and I kind of take them through the stages. Um, that's always fun to bring a new shooter in and kind of walk them through what's going on and they get to see it. And then when they're done shooting their stage, they watch us do it. So it, that, that's a great event that, that George puts on. And um, the PRS is just becoming the de facto series for precision rifle competition. Hey, Frank, one of the things that we haven't done is we haven't told our listeners how to get to Sniper's Hide. Why don't you do that for us? Sure. It's just www.snipershide.com. And if you want to go into the forums, that's where a lot of the activity goes on. You could just do forum.snipershide.com, and that'll get you there. I want to make sure that my listeners understand uh, that everybody is welcome. Uh, I didn't want to scare anybody off by talking about how you call people out that don't know anything. And and I'm not talking about the general guy who's new to this, who wants to learn. We're talking about people uh, who are guilty of stolen valor and trying to make people believe there's something that they aren't and claiming they've done things that, that isn't true. And so I want the listeners to know Please check out Sniper's Hide. Don't be afraid to get on the forum. Sign in. Just beware that these guys know their stuff. And, and if, you, uh, if you're not honest, they'll call you on it. So, uh, but I, I wanted them to know that, that we, we're not trying to discourage anybody. As a matter of fact, I would encourage anybody who is interested in long-range uh, shooting, PRS matches, uh, even living vicariously through other people that you know have had experiences that you've only seen on TV or something like that, Sniper's Hide is a great place to hang out. It, 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 the name's deceiving. We're more precision rifle oriented for you know shooting steel competition things like that. Uh, I mean, one example is you know we had a hand in the Ruger precision rifle, and we have huge conversations going on, pages and pages of people talking about the Ruger precision rifle. And, and, you know, so this is something that new shooters are getting into, the savages, the different things. It's not you have to be a sniper, you have to be a police officer, you have to be in the military. It's for the target shooter. It's for the, the guy who goes out on the weekend. It's for the competition shooter. So it, it, the, the name does deceive a little bit. Well, Frank, I'm sorry we're out of time, but I want to thank you personally for everything you've done for the firearms industry, uh, all the things that you get involved with, and, and Sniper's Hide has been such an amazing resource for so many people, including myself and McMillan Fiberglass Stocks. I want to thank you for that. Also, thank you for being on the show. You've been a great guest, and definitely look forward to when I can have you back on. Sure. I appreciate it, and, and thank you very much. This is a great opportunity. Have You're a great welcome. weekend, man. You too. Uh, once again, we come to the end of another great show. Uh, I want to thank all of my listeners for spending your very valuable time with us. Have a great weekend, and we'll all see you back here on VoiceAmerica.com Sports Channel for another session of Taking Stock with Kelly McMillan. Goodbye for now. Thank you for tuning in to Taking Stock with Kelly McMillan. Be sure to come back for more next Friday at 2 p.m. Eastern Time and 11 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Sports Channel. The weekend is here. Enjoy yourself. We'll talk again next week.